are some real sharp things that come up on a road, right? These have been kind of taken off. And that's why the florist takes them off. And that's why the florist takes them off. You'll have to imagine today because you know those sharp briars that are on a road. And I think they might represent, looking around this room, they might represent the men pretty well, to be honest with you. Okay? And then there's a bloom up here. So we have a rose for every lady in the room today. We're paying you too much. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. And I want y'all to take a minute. I want you to take a minute because I want to teach you a rose prayer. Okay? And so for those of you that are here with your spouse, do the prayer. And for those of you that aren't, do it with a good friend. Okay? It's the exact same prayer. You need to do it both ways. Everybody ready? So here's the teaching. You got to hustle there. I know. I So here's the prayer. In our lives, we have lots of things to pray about. When we get to be our age, we tend to pray to Doctor God, right? I mean, about 80, 90 percent of our prayers are Doctor God. Would you please heal me? Would you heal a friend of mine? Would you heal a friend, sister's brother's cousin's uncle? You know, that's how this, would you heal me, would you heal me, would you heal me, would you heal me? And we seldom say, actually, our prayers are most often, would you cure me? And when God's actually interested in healing me prayers, he'll hear heal me prayers. But cure me prayers have got to be like loud clanking noises in heaven. Are you with me on that? The rose prayer stands different. You pray with your partner, one thorn that's in your life. You just confess what that is. Whatever that thorn is, you know, and it can be a, a, a physical ailment. And then one thing that's beautiful beyond what you deserve. Okay? So one thing in your life that's beautiful beyond what you deserve, and one thorn that you'd like God to take, okay, and deal with. Is that good? So I'm going to give you just a few minutes, and if you haven't got your rose, you can start again. Again, if, you, if you're with your mate, do it with your mate, and if you have a friend here, do it with a friend as well, okay? So we need friend matchups. Or there, When I looked at the, the uh, list, we were about even. Yeah, y'all match up. Yeah. Okay. Some of y'all look confused about who your spouse is. <laughs> For that case, I'll do that joke again. Where's <laughs> rules? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to do that all day. I'm sorry. Oh. I remember we're old. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So what we're going to pray is one thorn in our life that we'd like God to deal with. So whatever that thorn is, it may be in our circumstances, it may be in us ourselves. And then one thing that we are thankful for that's beautiful beyond what we deserve. Okay. And you give and and like you can each of you have one. Okay, you can. We can continue prayers later. I can tell. Uh, seems we have some laughing prayers. I am assuming those were the thorns. <laughs> yeah.
Isn't that a cool? Isn't that a cool way of praying, though? It's so good for us to not fall in a rut and experience different ways to go to the Lord, and different ways to be together as well. Hey, um, I wanted to follow up just a little bit last night on uh, on the we'll, the movie we'll tie into. We're not actually going to ever discuss it directly, so you guys discuss it as the weekend goes. But I want to fill in a few things. So number one. The Bema Judgment Seat is B-E-M-A. For those of you that want to go off and study, it's called the B-E-M-A. And it's a theology that's more prominent in certain uh, Christian uh, denominations than others. Okay, But it has to do with the righteous judgment when we get to heaven. You guys could tell it has to do with rewards. For those of you guys that are note-takers, I'll share a little bit. I did say Bema was Hebrew. I said it to some people afterwards. It's Greek, okay? It is the judgment. Uh, by the way, Paul uses that word because it's the same seat that Christ went before when he went before Pilate, okay? He went before what was called the Bema, all right? And so the two, refer, uh, the two direct references to the judgment seat are Romans 14, 10, and 11, and 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10, and then 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 discusses the, the rewards and uh, what will be passed out. Revelations 3, 11 to 12 discusses the crown of righteousness. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20 uh, directly talks about rewards. Now, the whole chapter of 2 Thessalonians is Paul's dissertation to the Thessalonians who thought the day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment, had already come. There were some heretics teaching that. And he came back. So the whole second chapter is really about that, if you are interested in that. Okay? So there's a, a few a few places for you. And 2 Timothy 4.8 is um, the crown of righteousness. Revelations 3, 11, 12 is one of the crowns. I can't remember. So those are the referrals. Just, uh, I just want to make sure there's kind of a biblical basis for what we're talking about, which doesn't mean I agree with every single little representation that was in the movie, okay? But uh, I told someone last night, um, I am, uh, we always get really hung up on what we believe, and I'm not sure. That I, I was in a conversation you know, if you ever get in a conversation with an atheist, they're all brilliant, right? They really are smart people. And most of them know the Bible better than we do, and that's why we get intimidated. And uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Angus Carroll, that's uh, been a sold-out atheist for a long time, we were in that very conversation. He was telling me what he believed, and I told him what I was believing. Finally, I stopped, and I said, you know, Angus, you're a lot smarter than me. And so, uh, you know, if only the dummies make it to heaven, that's going to be good news for me. But uh, but the real issue is I'm not sure what we believe is going to change the course of history. I think we might need to discover what actually happened. And uh, it might be more about discovery than believing. You see what I mean? And so that's the same thing. And he said, nobody's ever said that to me. And I said, well, let's start reading this together. And we started reading some stuff. Now, Angus ended up going a different direction, so I can't tell you how that one ended. Okay, but uh, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know that all my beliefs are exactly right, okay? <laughs> so, let me uh, share with you this morning 
Uh, Ann and I are really excited to be here. We're having a lot of fun. The room was really nice. Y'all are gracious to, to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, help us with that. That's really nice. Let me read some words to you. You see, you seers. Okay, this is not to the Philippians from Paul. This is from Paul to you see, you seers. Okay, and uh, I think this is what he would have said if he had known you personally. I thank my God every time I remember you. We're in first in Philippians 1, 3 through 9. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Which I think is one way of saying the best is yet to come. <laughs> okay? So, we're going to play with Philippians a little bit more. Let's go to 3. And we'll do um, 12 through 19. Now that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of all things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we ought have already attained. Think about that. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What God has already built into our lives. Let our lives be worthy of what he has already built into our lives. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me just say again, many retired folks who are not in Jesus live a self-centered life as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's not really there, and I know I'm not to add a word. I just do That's the message by Rusty. Okay? Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Where and when are you from? I heard that question last night, okay? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control 
will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Amen, amen. Isn't that cool? Is that neat? If you uh, see some of the images from last night, you know. Okay. Let me get my notes. All right. This morning, um, I want to do a couple of things this morning uh, to, to get started. And one is, I want us to explore our comfort. Okay, so we're going to do this at the table. We're going to take a few minutes together, and uh, I'm going to keep us moving pretty close. But that's what we're going to do in this first hour together this morning. We're going to explore our comfort. Then we'll take a little break, and then we're going to talk about challenges and risk-taking. What happens when we face challenges? My guess is most of us in here have got a couple of challenges still left ahead of us, right? And uh, what we do when we do risk. But right now, what I want you to do is talk at your tables... And, and actually try to create a short list of what makes you comfortable. What makes you comfortable? What am I going to do? Okay, we're going to keep a pace here now. This, this is no slacker's retreat, okay? Somebody come to relax and have fun with their friends? Forget that nonsense, okay? This is no slacker. All right, what makes you comfortable? Okay, 50, being with friends. Yeah. I'm going to put it that way. Be with yeah. Okay, friends, the CUCers. I got health. that. Health. Good health. Good health. I'm more comfortable when I have good health. Oh, yeah. Say? Okay, so God can make us comfortable. All right, I'm going to challenge that in a minute. Could be you and I got different God. Good humor. Okay, good humor. Okay. Right. Huh? Family. Okay. Okay. Dirty martini. Okay. Dirty martini. There we go. That may make the next list, too. Something worthwhile to do. Okay. That was a good one. Now, comfortable. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait on that one for just a second, but just keep your finger licked on that, okay? Having a purpose. Okay. So, what? Now, interesting. Nobody said anything about your house. Or your car, or your money, and so I think people maybe not even telling the truth. Okay. Okay. Good. Who had that on there? Who had that on there? Okay. Good. Good. This is close to church. You have to tell the truth. Okay. We didn't hear what they said. Money, their homes, cars. Okay. Things at work. All right. I'm going to send you to the next one because you may want to swap some things on your list. Okay. What satisfies you? What satisfies you? Turn around. You can have a few minutes to talk about that together. And it can be the same. It can be different. You guys decide. All right? We're going to draw a line between what makes us comfortable and what satisfies us. Okay. How does what satisfy you different than what makes you comfortable or doesn't? Hard time separating the two. Okay? Satisfaction seems to mean Okay, so satisfaction means that you've met your needs and wants. 
Is that what we're saying? Potentially. Okay, so that's a good, I think keep that in mind. That's a very good one, Charles. Go ahead and say again. Did I cut someone off? No, the satiety factor or whatever you call it. Right, that factor. So I've met my needs and wants. So coming, coming. But in most cases, that's only temporary. Ah, so satisfaction, if we're not careful, can be a, a temporary state of being. Comfort can be too, but temporary state of being. Okay? We had accomplishments. Accomplishments. Accomplishments create some satisfaction, right? right? Checking them off the list. Right. Bucket list. A bucket list, right? That didn't make any sense until recently. <laughs> That's the dumbest movie I'd ever heard of when it came out. Now it's making a lot of sense to me. Or a to-do list is another way. Because to some do. things are just a to-do, but you get satisfaction. We are to-do addicts. You know, at our house, that's that's yeah. that's our problem. We're to do addicts, okay? Huh? We're to don'ts. We're to don'ts. Y'all are smarter than we are. We're older. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep in mind comfort and satisfaction, and keep in your mind are those things blending together? They're the same thing. In mind, it's meeting our wants and needs. Um, for some of us, maybe they're not the same things. You know, when I get comfortable. I I'm get lazy, and when I get lazy, I don't get happy with myself. Some people do. Some people will get satisfied when they're there. Some people don't. You see what I mean? Martha, Mary, there's a lot going on here. All right, I'm going to, uh, we're going to come back to Philippians in a minute, because Paul tells us, and this is something we've talked about in your class once before, before the weekend's over, I'm just going to bring all that back home, but we're going to do that. But first, let me... Uh, you guys know that my, my world's been a business world like most of y'all's, uh, most of the, uh, many of y'all, not most of y'all, but many of y'all have been in that business world. So let me read you a business memo. And um, we're going to go back now. We'll be back to this. We're going to go back now to an extraordinary journal, extraordinary people. Let's talk about some ordinary people. So if I was to ask you whether you're ordinary or extraordinary, this is something Ann and I have gone through recently. You know, just think in your head whether you feel ordinary or extraordinary. But listen to this business memo, because it just seems to me that the Lord needs to pick his game up, to be honest with you. To Jesus, son, and some of y'all have heard this, to Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafter Carpenter Shop, Nazareth, from the Jordan Management Consultants in Jerusalem. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It's the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. <laughs> we would recommend that you continue searching for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no leadership qualities. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude. 
that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew's been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely has radical leanings, and both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. <laughs> One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability, resourcefulness, beats people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultants. All that was on that little piece of paper. Right there. That's why, that's why these glasses are perched on top of my head. Is that interesting? Okay. So, what kind of people... I'm a mess. And I'm not used to mics. What kind of people... Does God start with? Ordinary. Ordinary people, right? Ordinary people. Now, here's my question. So, you know your comfort, you know what satisfies you. What if God came a calling today? What if God came a calling for you today and said, Really enjoyed my walk with you, now I need you to be. A disciple. I'm taking the 12. We're going to 24. I know you guys aren't fishermen, but I got a calling for you. I came a calling today. Go to your tables and tell me what. Now, I want some honest responses. Right? So you envision what that means. I want to make sure you know what I think. None of those guys became disciples in their hometowns. None of them stayed None of them stayed up here with their 50 best friends and the CUCers. You hear me? So what if God comes calling for you this weekend or next week? You can't say go next door? Well, you can say, and that's one of the things I'm going to expect to be on the list, <laughs> is telling him who he should pick. He might need to go pick Judas. <laughs> okay? Take a few minutes. See if you can. Uh, you're with your friends. You can be honest. Okay. I've heard some great responses. Some of y'all are quieter. So I'm going to come to the rowdy table here in a minute. Okay? So what am I hearing? What would you say? Saying? No way. No way. No way. No way. Hey, there's somebody just going, hey, no way. All right, what are the benefits? So I, want to, I want to be able to measure this, so I've got to make a good judgment on this decision. What else? Can I work at home? Can I work at home? Can I work from home? I love it. Okay, what else? Well, he knows me so well. What does he know about me that I don't know about me? Yeah. Why, why are you picking me? Why are you picking me? You know what he'd say. Follow me. Follow me. It's not your time to know. You know, that would set crosswise, wouldn't it? Okay. All right, I'm going to go rowdy over here. I heard a bunch of stuff over here. Come on, give it up. What were some of them? What's the pay? What's the pay? <laughs> what else? Can I do it for a week? Can I do it for a week? Hey, I'm in for a week. What's the length? What's how much time? Not me, I'm ordinary. Not me, I'm ordinary. Just do a little bit. Yeah, can I do a little bit? Can I bring a friend? Can, oh, can I bring a friend? Can you take my friend? 
Well, you have you considered Roger? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't require committee meetings. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. Okay. One thing I want to share is our incessant need to know does not seem in history to affect God's need to reveal one bit. And our consistent prayers to need to know, I have not found anyone that ever got their need to know prayers answered. I found people that got their issues answered in God's due time when he is. Isn't it interesting? We have all these questions. We could have failed in those 12 disciples. Now, I'm going to tell you one other thing. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? How many disciples did Jesus call? Twelve. We don't know that. We know he called at least 13. Because my favorite parable in the Bible I love to teach on is a rich young ruler. And it even says that Jesus was sad when he went away. So that was, we all think that was a paradoxical call, and it wasn't. He was sincere. And in fact, on his team, he had disciples that represented every walk of life except the wealthy. And therefore, he had to meet with Nicodemus himself in the middle of the night. So he called at least 13, but how many did he call? Did he call 40 or 50? Or more? And history shows, if it would tell us the story, that some of them were too busy or wanted to know if they could come for a week or could they do it from their hometown. 1979, I was, uh, I helped start the second computer store in the country down at Peachtree, uh, down where Peachtree and Piedmont met in what used to be called the Disco Kroger. Now where oh, that yeah. disco was. Anybody remember that? Yeah. yeah I've been there, huh? So, uh, <laughs> you can save it for later. But anyhow, <laughs> so I, I was down there, and uh, we'd started a computer store. It's a long story. I'd, I'd done okay in my career real early. I just got out of school, 75, and uh, just had moved to Atlanta in 79. And we were trying to put together these computer systems, and it was the second uh, computer store in the country. And uh, we heard about this guy, and he was coming through town. We asked him to meet with us, and he said, absolutely. He drove up into our parking lot in a, in a, um, uh, a station wagon with a dog in the back and came inside. We put up a folding table, and we sat around the folding table for about an hour and a half and talked about the commands that we would need him to write in this thing called an operating system he was writing so it could work on this disk drive that we had built. And we were about to, we had invented and we're about to patent the first disk drive that would ever run on a computer. But we needed the software to be able to talk to it. So this guy's name was Bill Gates. And Gates was kind of happy with that meeting and wrote those commands into the language for us. And in that meeting, in those discussions, he enjoyed our company. So I got a call from him about a week later. And that call said, I've made it to Seattle. And it actually wasn't from him, of course. It was from assistant. And probably a little bit like Timothy, it's probably an assistant's assistant already at this point. Okay? But Gates was just starting this business. And so he sent a guy and said, call him and see if he'll come out here. And he'll consider moving out here and helping us in sales. Now, I'm going to tell you that my comfort, Ann's comfort zone was Auburn, Alabama, okay? 
And we were already in Atlanta, and it's two hours away, okay? But Ann's Comfort Zone was Auburn, Alabama, and I gotta tell you, I was awful comfortable with it too. Auburn had been good to me. You may hear a little of that later, but it had been good to me. So they flew me out there. I went around the helicopter. They took me up on a mountain. We snow skied one day. We were down in the water and the sound. It was a beautiful place. Showed me the places that we might stay and asked me if I'd come out here and continue my career out there. And we talked a lot about this in the last few weeks. We decided that wasn't our comfort zone. Not out there with those kind of people. And so we turned it down. And likewise, I was working for some guys that started a company called Compaq, founder and CEO of Compaq. But that was down in hot Texas on the south coast, so I turned down the VPS sales for Compaq, too. Now, I don't know where life would have been. I know I would have had to be figuring out how to give away a lot more money. <laughs> I know that, right? But I also know, as we're going to explore, that those opportunities don't all come when you're young and dumb. You know? That the same God that orchestrates those kind of meetings orchestrates them through our whole life. So I just want to tell you that. Let me tell you something. It's a rustyism. And I want to leave it with you. I want you to think about it today. We're going to take a break right here in just one minute. Now, this is a rustyism, so this isn't in the Bible. But there is a book that's in business that's one of what we call the seminal books in the last 20 years. It's on everybody's top five business books ever written. Okay? And it's by a guy named Jim Collins. Anybody read that book? It's called Good to Great. And it is a book that researches the greatest companies in American history. And it, it does a statistical review of those companies. And he has about two major principles in that book. I'm going to share one with you today. And the first principle and the most important one is that good is the arch enemy of great. Good is the arch enemy of great. I want to share with you guys as CU Sears, as people who love Roswell United Methodist Church, my perspective is that the enemy of God at our church is not Satan. Satan can't get on our campus without a lot of work. There's been too much prayer by too many saints. There's God walking around. There's a boundary set there. The enemy of God on our church is good. We do that good. We do that good enough. Our classes are good. Our people are good. We do a lot of good. We're good. I'm not sure that the enemy of God in the bigger church is not good. Let me tell you something. This is the rusty thesis, so I want to leave it with you. And remember, I need to tell you, y'all invited me. <laughs> okay? So I can feel those toes squeezing right now. Okay? But y'all invited me. All right? I work out. I do this CrossFit workout two days a week. I was coming back from CrossFit the other day, and I went by a church. And the church had a sign out, and it says, Wise men are only betrayed once. What? I went home and searched my Bible. <laughs> I, I don't get that. I mean, I get that. Okay? I get that. But I don't get that. I mean, it's not in the Bible anywhere. I know one really bright guy that got betrayed. 
Now, if I'm going to count Peter being in the courtyard, I'd say more than once. I'm going to talk about all the other guys that I'm around. But I don't, and by the way, it's a Baptist church. Okay? I don't get that. But on the way home, I passed another little coffee place. It says, come be with us and be all you were made to be. Which one of those messages is a God-based spiritual change your life, transform your world, produce a miracle, take ordinary and make it extraordinary? And which one of those is a do good, be good? Y'all, I'm going to tell you something. We cannot compete with Starbucks. Y'all hear me? Starbucks is the third place. It is the do-good place. They're going to recycle everything, including what you're sitting on. Okay? They're going to create friendships. They're going to move coffee in between there. They are the number one seller of CDs in the world. They got the music that surrounds you. They sell more CDs than any other organization in the world. Okay? They help poor farmers. The church cannot compete. You cannot compete. The very way for us to lose our way is to become comfortable and to do good. Because when we do, Starbucks is going to kick our butt. You get it? Now where you are, as you look at your legacy... At, at RUMC, you look at your legacy and your life. I just want to leave you. I know who I'm with. <laughs> so I want to leave you with that. What if God came a calling? Okay, we're going to take a break. Let me just do one thing here. In the extraordinary journey, the first step is be very aware. Of your comfort zone. Be very, be very aware of your comfort zone. Very aware of your comfort zone. Because if you don't own it, it's going to own you. Okay? And we're going to love you and say nice things about you. But you're not going to make the big book. <laughs> you won't be on the Jesus team. You know? I mean, I'm just putting it out there. And that doesn't say you're not a Christian. That doesn't say you're not going to join Daniel on the Bama seat. You're not going to have a judgment. And it doesn't say you're not going to have some precious stones. Every one of you almost gets a garage sale stone. Okay? <laughs> right? I'm not saying that. Don't get mad at me about that. I'm saying Jesus is coming to call him. Okay? He's coming to call him. The best is yet to come. I went to Kenya, not this year, but last year. And it was the first tough mission trip I ever had. Usually what happens is Satan attacks me before I go on these international mission trips. And then I get on a mission trip, and it's la, 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 and God ordains everything. And, you know, I can snort, and people go, oh, my God, 
You know, I mean, it's just everything works. Everything I say works. Everywhere I go works. It's just all cool. Kenya was tough. Start with I went with five women, okay? And that was really tough. One of those women, I'm not going to call by name, has spent seven or eight years aggravating me to death, okay? So, I mean, and it it just continued, okay? Got reset. Her seat was next to mine on the plane, 26 hours. It was fun, okay? It was fun. Got over there. Accommodations weren't what we thought they were when they were first going. They got it done nice. We traveled our tails off. Some amazing experiences, I can tell you about it. And I was in prayer on one of the last nights there. I was exhausted, and the stars were out. And I just woke up in the middle of the night, and it was kind of cool. And I went outside, and I was praying. And uh, the Lord said to me, so it's always got to be easy for you? <laughs> it's always got to be easy? You know, that's kind of what I heard in my head. And I came to realize a single thing. That when I'm in my comfort zone, I am definitely not in God's comfort zone. But more importantly, when I am in God's comfort zone, and he's got his arms wrapped around me, and he's got me where I am at my best and he needs me, then I'm not in my comfort zone. Now, I wasn't comfortable playing that movie last night. But I'm glad I did. Thanks to the encouragement from my wife. The best is yet to come. Who saw Michael Bell and heard him last Sunday? Was that incredible? That guy's unbelievable, right? And we're going to do risk-taking as soon as we do a, a, a break here. We're going to talk a little about challenges and risk-taking. And, of course, he took one. He talked about that, right? One of his pictures is the best is yet to come. And I just want to read you the quick story with that. Of Jesus' many miracles, one of the best known is when he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Running out of wine at a wedding was an unacceptable social blunder. At the wedding celebration in Cana, such a situation was about to embarrass the bridegroom. Then at the request of his mother, Jesus set about saving the day. Taking several pots that were normally used for ceremonial cleansing, he filled them with water and then miraculously turned the water into wine and served some to the master. It was exceptional wine, prompting the master to exclaim to the bridegroom, Most people serve the good wine first. And when the guests have had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you say the best for last. What a great message does. Jesus' miracle not only reiterates his promise of provision, we will not run out of wine. It reveals that the wine we drink now is the cheap wine compared to the wine in his kingdom to come. When we let go of this world and grasp the promises of heaven, we will understand that he certainly has saved the best. For last. So I want to just leave you with this as we go to break, and I'm going to ask you if maybe we could break about 15 minutes, and so we'll then do the, do the risk. God has got you more prepared today than ever before in your life. You have more wisdom. You've walked longer with him. You know him better. He knows you better. He has you in relationships that he can leverage. You have been better prepared right now than you are have been at any point in your life. And could be the best is yet to come. And then for sure, we all are going to pass through the River Jordan. And for most of us, if it happened today, we got no complaints. Right? I mean, certainly I don't. And I've had days in my life, I'd just assume it would happen. <laughs> but we could be where Daniel is. 
and we've got no complaints. So the best is definitely yet to come when we get glorified, right? I'm not talking to in here to anybody about your salvation. But is the best yet to come between here and there? Is God calling us? Those questions you had today, you feel free to talk about those this afternoon too. Let's take a break.